Thank you for joining us again on Sheer Enjoyment Radio, on Tani Talks Radio, brought to you by Sheer Enjoyment Radio, powered by Radio.co. This is the Sheer. Often weeks the show, and often weeks the Sheer. We usually switch off a Sheer or a show, but this week in honor of the upcoming Tishabov and its importance, it's a show slash Sheer, where we talk a topic for the week for the audience members to keep. This is not our only show. This is the live show on Monday nights where you can listen to us on Sheer Enjoyment Radio app, on Apple iPhone, or on the Apple App Store, on the Google Play Store, or the Sheer Enjoyment Radio channel, or on JRoot app, or on the JRoot Radio channel, or on 520-453-8302. But we also have other Sheer and other podcasts, the Daf One Tani Talk staff, the Parsha One Tani Talks Parsha. We also have OT, Tani Talks OT, and Tani Talks Pirkeavos, which are on summer hiatus, but we'll be back, God willing, with the start of the school year. Different ways to listen, and you could join us on the WhatsApp if you want to get the recording straight to your inbox of your WhatsApp on your phone. So I was thinking about it, and I was contemplating how sports have an interesting effect and an interesting aspect to our lives. Baruch Hashem, our kids are in camp, they love camp, and especially for the oldest, throughout the day, there are many different sports, and I went to day camp growing up, I loved day camp growing up, I went to sleep away for a few camps, but as a parent, I'm actually on uh, a different aspect looking at it nowadays, but day camp for sure, I love, love, they come home at the end of the day, they tell us how the day was, and they have so many different sports, they have dodgeball, and nukum, and basketball, and hockey, and all these different sports, even for a kid, my old, our oldest going into second grade but the question is what if someone is not really so good at sports what if someone doesn't like to play sports or what if someone doesn't excel at sports hey i'm not athletic how can i play sports or how can i be involved in sports the thing about sports is that there is really something for everyone and nowadays i was googling the list and looking up the list there's like a thousand sports in all types of directions and all types of formats and all types of forums so anything really can be called a sport anything out there really there's so many sports to choose from but when we think about sport I want to take the word sport and actually expand it beyond the actual physical action of playing the sport, but really, as the flyer shows, being a good sport. So you don't have to be athletic to excel at being a good sport or being involved in good sports or being that proper sport, especially if I'm not athletic over the years I haven't played real proper sports in a very long time, but there are many different types of sports. I myself have gone a very non-conventional, non-traditional gym and work out. That is, I've been doing chores and slept laundry and the children all over the place for years. So my sport, if you will, is household work, if you will. But sports are a general topic. I think it includes many different aspects. I may not be athletic in the traditional way, but I could still find a way to bring sport into my life. And I could still find a way how each of us, myself included, can try to be a better sport quote-unquote, in our own lives. It really behooves us to think about the idea of being a good sport in our life, especially as we come this week to Tisha B'Av, as we come in just a few days to talking about and being involved in and thinking about Tisha B'Av, because there were two Bate Mikdash that we were a Zohar to have, and we, we hope and we pine and we pray to have the third one speedily rebuilt in our days. May that day come today. But we need to think about how to approach the holiday. Some It should be a holiday in the future. We hope it will turn into a real Yom Tov in the future. But as of now, it unfortunately is a sad day, a tragic day. And it's very hard to relate to Tisha B'Av for many people, myself included. It's a very long fast. It's in the brutal heat of the summer. If you have kids at home, it's difficult when they're screaming and whining. It's hard to get into the mode of the day, into the picture of the day. So sometimes it's good to just relate to one aspect of the day that you could take away and you could work on and you could deal with. So when we think about the idea of sport, I think about it, you know, kids are in camp and day camp. Some people send their kids to sleepaway camp. Some people work in camp. I myself work in the summer school in the DOE and we have this idea of uh, sports when they go to gym and we go on trips. We could think about the idea of being a good sport. What does that mean? Meaning being a mensch. Having proper midos, proper derech eretz to one another, to the world at large, and 
to everyone we get involved with and everyone we interact with on and off the field, on the field of life and off the field of life, on the track and off the track, going the beaten path and off the beaten path. And when two roads diverge and you choose right or left, Lahabdal's Robert Frost explained, when you're on whatever path you're on, you should be that good sport, you should be that good mensch. We talk about Derech Eretz in a different Tani Talks life as well but approaching it in a different aspect here. So having proper sportsmanship and proper manners, proper derech eretz, being friendly to one another, is really something we could try to work on and try to do in our own life. In general, when I take Ubers every day to summer school and in my last placement I had to take Ubers to get to the train and back from the train, a lot of times I will purposefully speak to the driver, try to interact with the driver and try to talk to the driver and relate to the person in, in the best way that I can to interact with them. A lot of times you find out fascinating things, even in the morning, a lot of times it's a 10-minute drive from the house to the train. You can learn a lot about the person. I learned about one guy that he has four kids and, and two of them are out of the house and two of them, and he lives around the area, but he's, the kids are not sure that what they want to do, where they want to go, and this other one lives from India and his kids are in India. Everything, sometimes every interaction, I often tell my wife, every interaction really is the ability to meet someone and learn something about them and have a positive hashpa'a on them or a positive effect or influence on the person. Yes, oftentimes I'll have to take care of stuff for the other job like the luach, whatsapp, or whatnot not, or catching up by messages and emails, but by and large, in general, I try, Blineder, to talk to the driver and interact with the driver. And unless something crazy happened, like in the past when, unfortunately, there was fraud in our account, when I call customer service, involved with customer service, I try very hard to say, hi, how are you today? What's your name? Thank you for helping me. Unless there's something intense going on, in general, I try to. Because having a proper hashba and proper interaction, proper derechers with the person really goes a long way. They don't know I'm Jewish, but they know that I'm a fellow human. Oftentimes, these people are called and yelled at and berated time and time and time again. It's probably hard for them to come to the job, even if they're doing it remotely from different parts of the world and different aspects of the world. We can have that proper ability to interact with the person. And I believe, my wife tells me that she grew up with the We Sing videos and elements and songs. And one of the songs, I forget which song, but they talk about how it's easier to catch a fly with honey than with vinegar, or I forget which one, but it's something like that, where... I think uh, one of the characters is talking and it's easier to catch a fly with vin- with honey than with vinegar or something like that. But it's true in life because when you're talking to people, when you're interacting with people, you want to get things accomplished. Someone wants to help someone else who's a nice person, not when they're mean, vindictive, yelling and shouting at them because they didn't get their shoes on time from Zappos or they didn't get their water from Amazon that day. If you speak in the right way, you catch it better with the honey, with the sweetness, with being a nice, interacting person with people on the phone and people in your life and people in general. So I found that when I speak to the people, especially Amazon customer service, you know, our, our son's shoes, the Velcro kept them being messed up. So I tried that phone call to be nice to the person and talking to to whatever his name was, Richie we'll call him, and he actually sent me an email afterwards saying it was a pleasure speaking with you Mr. Tawny and we hope we resolved your issue and because you were so nice we're going to rush the order for no fr- no shipping charge. You know, if I would have went about and said I'm so frustrated my kid, he hates the shoes, he keeps yelling about the shoes, they're not velcroing, it's not good. It wouldn't have been a positive interaction, nothing would have been accomplished and they wouldn't have been able to help me and we lost the chance to do that Kiddush Hashem. They don't know I'm Jewish but we lost the chance to have that interaction. So when we think about the the field of life and on and off the field and for our kids in games and our kids in sports and ourselves being involved, it's much better to have that proper sportsmanship, being that proper mensch, being that proper midos and derecheres in our life. In fact, Tishabov itself is the day when the 
both base of Mikdash and both Batei Mikdash were destroyed. One of the main reasons, if not the main reason, for the second base of Mikdash to be destroyed was because of Sinat Chinam. The first one we know was destroyed because of Gili Rash, Vichastamim, and about Azara, idolatry, immorality, and murder. That's a different topic in of its own right. But at least the second one to think about was destroyed because of baseless hatred. Rabbi Akiva lost 24,000 students in the time of the Sphira between Pesach and Shavuos because of lack of respect, lack of covet, having hatred among one another, if you will, not having proper interactions. So if one of the reasons for one of the base Amigdashas to be destroyed was because of Sinas Chinam, it really behooves us to learn and talk and think about Ahvad Chinam, proper manners, proper sportsmanship, especially in the in the season of camp, in the camp season in the summer, when kids are all in day camp and in sleepaway camp and involved in many different sports and many different games. And us as adults also, whether we're getting daily with people or playing games or whatever we're doing, it really behooves to think how to go about this. Just one small aspect to think about as we come and as we go and we engage through Tishabov. One of my favorite videos that my wife and I have watched many times over the years is the series from Rabbi Foreman of of Monsters and Men where it talks about the Kamsa and Bar Kamsa story and he goes through all aspects of how it was rooted in the Sinachinam problem and it started with a, a wedding party the wrong person was invited and the whole thing spiraled out of control out of control basically leading to the destruction of the base of Migdash. If there just would have been a better way for the host and the guests to interact, for it to be resolved, for them to have actual avat chinam, even if he invited the wrong person, even if it was his enemy, the shnuk, Rabbi Foreman says, that cheated him out of business 20 years ago. As he says in the video, it's all about the idea of flipping it it's on its head. And it started in the Sinachinam. There's actually an interesting book, a Safer from Artsroll, where they delve into the Bar Kamsa story. God willing, we're going to get it, called Ein Yaakov. Very interesting thing to read on Tishabov itself. But the the root of the destruction was Sinachinam. So it really... Th- Good. It's really good for us to think about and learn about Ahavat Chinam, which is the opposite, baseless love for one another, for fellow man, for fellow woman, fellow people in the world, having proper manners and sportsmanship. In fact, the sages, the Chachamim, tell us in the Talmud Yerushalmi, I believe, that in each generation, behold door v'dor, in every door, every generation that the Beis Megdash is not rebuilt, it is as if it was destroyed again and again within your own generation. Which means, if you think about it, that means if it has not been rebuilt in our days, if it has not been rebuilt in our generation, that means by definition that the problem remains. The problem stands. The problem has not been fixed. If the base of Midrash was destroyed because of Sinachinam, and in every generation, if it wasn't rebuilt, it's as if it was destroyed again, then by definition, in our generation, it was destroyed again because of Sinachinam, using the Gemara Krupp and the Gemara Melody teaching us that if in our generation it hasn't been solved, that means again in this generation, our generation, the problem still stands. The problem has not been fixed, and the problem is still around. So the question is, and I'm very big on practicality, as we do on all this year, we try to bring it practically home. So the question is, if it was destroyed in our days, in all days, because of Sinachinam, among all the other problems that the first base of Megdash was destroyed on, but again, we're not addressing that exactly right now. If in our generation, in every generation, the base of Megdash was not rebuilt, which means as if it was as if it was destroyed again, which means that Sinachinam is still a problem, so what is the solution? So the sages tell us, and I believe the Chavetz Chaim himself is the one that says that if it was destroyed because of Sinas Chinam, then the Beis Migdash can be rebuilt through Ahavas Chinam. Simple, so simple, but in hindsight makes so much sense. If it's destroyed because of baseless hatred, then it must be rebuilt through baseless love. Baseless love for all people. How do we get that? How do we do that? How do we be involved with that? It all starts with us and our interactions, how we speak and interact with the people around us, going the extra mile, going above and beyond what's expected of us. It could start with young kids at school and at camp through proper manners in class and in sports, 
in the school, in the camp, wherever they're going. With us as adults, that's every phone call we make to Amazon, to customer service, to Zappos, to Walmart, whatever, whoever we're calling to deal with an issue, to Verizon for your Fios, if you have Fios like us, or if you have a water problem or this problem, or if you need uh, the credit card expired and need a new one. Thank you so much, Charlie, for helping me. I really appreciate it. Now I could buy my stuff ad nauseum. I could buy so much what I need from Amazon or the like. It starts with Ahavas, you know, and it starts with your interactions. You walk on the way every day, Blinader, when I walk and I pick up my kid, my, my son, um, God willing, my son's this coming year, our son's from our local community school. There's a, there's a security guard. There's a crossing guard. Does it really hurt? Is it really difficult to wave to them, to talk to them, and say, hi, how are you today? How was your day? Beautiful day outside, right? Thank you so much for keeping our children safe. Thank you so much for protecting our children, our precious gems, and for helping out the community. Do you know what one phrase, one line, one word could do to a person that could change their whole life? There's a very famous story. I don't know where it comes from. I didn't actually write it into the notes, but it comes to mind now. There's a very famous story how there was a, um, a gas attendant in one of the gas stations, in one of the boroughs in, in New York, I believe, that he found out one day that a very famous, popular rabbi passed away. And they, the, they, the different people were coming to get gas that day, and they saw that he was very downtrodden. They saw he was very depressed, very sad, and, and literally crying and bawling his eyes out the whole day. So people, you know, people go about their day, they don't really understand and realize that people are around them and, and really functionally could be talked to and helped until one person finally stopped and said to the person, you know, Sam, what's wrong? We're calling him Sam. Sam said, I just found out that Rabbi Kleinerhofer, we'll call him, passed away. And and the gas attendant and the... and, and Reb Moshe, let's call him, says to Sam, well, but what, what do you mean? Did you know him? Were you friends with him? Was he, was he a family friend of yours? And he said, Sam says to Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi Moshe, this Rabbi Klein offer every single time he came to the gas station, he came out of the car while I was filling up his gas for him. He asked me how I'm doing, how my wife is doing, how my kids are doing. He asked me, how's it going? Is it rough? Is, is the job good? Do I like the job? How's my days going? How's everything going? He literally talked to me every time he filled up gas. He got out of his car. He made the time of day. He changed my life. I looked forward to every time I saw that rabbi. I just found out the news that he passed away, and I'm devastated. I am so sad. I feel so despondent because this great rabbi, this wonderful person who was invested in my life, in my days, how many people actually ask me about my days? How many people care about my days? This rabbi went above and beyond. He had such sterling qualities, such sterling manners that I heard it and I feel like I lost a really good friend. Can you imagine what this person did Five minutes out of his day, every time his gas, he had to fill up his gas anyway. His car needed fuel anyway. But this person went out of his way. I don't know which rabbi it was. I don't know where it was. I just remember the story. It's such a beautiful story. He went out of his way to literally talk to the gas attendant. How simple, but how life-changing that this person, not Jewish person, could literally have his life changed from the ability of this person to speak to him. Because all it takes is some kind words, some kind interactions. Sinav chinam was the problem. Ahavas chinam is the solution. Sinas chinam was the impetus for destruction. Ahavas chinam is the impetus for rebuilding. Ahavas chinam means loving all people, having good sportsmanship to all people, being a good sport to everyone around you. All these interactions of random people. Random security guards, a bank teller, you go to take out money. Thank you so much for guarding my money, for guarding the $5 I have in my savings account, the $4 I have in my checking account. Thank you for taking care of this, for being a bank teller, for helping me get my money. A security guard, a crossing guard, a person that helps you get gas for you, the barista that gives you your coffee. Do you know 
Moses, what this coffee does for me, it literally lifts up my morning. I now have the caffeine to deal with my students, to deal with my clients, to deal with my friends, to deal with my interactions with people. I got a, a delicious donut. It picked up my morning. Thank you so much for picking up my morning. And this is not something that's that's the quality of just Moshe Rabbeinu. Many approachable rabbis would do this. Many approachable people in life would do this and do do this in their life. And it's something simple that we could all start to do. And it really starts with instilling it in our own kids. Your kid goes to the game and someone strikes out. You think he should taunt him by saying, You can't hit it. Or should he say, Shlomo, I see you tried so hard to get the ball. You put in so much effort. What a good job trying to swing that bat. Better luck next time. I'm sure next time you'll hit it out of the park. Teaching the kids that it's not about the game. It's not about the winner. There's a famous phrase I saw in secular culture. Even secular culture picked up on this. They call it sportsmanship, obviously. And they say that it's not about who wins the game. It's about how you play the game. Isn't that an amazing quote? It's not about how you win the game. It's about how you play the game. If you have a guy who's a viral, vile, virulent animal on the field destroying anyone in his way, but after the fact he can't even talk or look at the other person and he tries to shake their hand, but during the game he was a Vildechaya, really an animal on the field. What does that say to the game? What does it say to the sport? Or you have someone that during the game tries his hardest to still be a good player, a mensch, and afterwards goes to shake each person's hand and says, thank you for the game, because it's a game. When did it become so outlandish that it becomes like a, a competition that they're your worst enemies when they're just trying to score a ball through the hoop, trying to catch a ball spiraling in the air, to hit a ball with a with a wooden instrument, with a wooden in, a wooden implement? It's just a game. And people have taken games out of control where they pay them millions. That's not for now, but it's a whole craziness. How my wife is a teacher and I'm an OT, where our salaries compared to someone who could throw a ball through a hoop or throw a ball in the air or hit a ball, millions upon millions and billions. There's a video actually out there that it says that if teachers were treat were treated like football stars, very funny. I think it's from the board teachers um, organization. But in any case, I digress. But really, it's about. The idea of we can rebuild what was destroyed, thinking about the Avas and baseless love for all people, having good sportsmanship, and starting with kids, young kids at school and camp as they're in the camp season. Lahavdil. There's a well known phrase that comes up in the Talmud, that comes up in Perkei Avos, Derach Eretz Kadmala Torah. In fact, there are 26 or so generations from Adam all the way until Moshe and the Jewish people that come before the Torah. Why would that be? Shouldn't Hashem have given the Torah to Adam himself? Why wait 26 generations? Why wait so many years, thousands of years, until the Jews received the Torah at Har Sinai? Because the idea is sometimes, before reading the laws, reading the Torah, studying the Torah, sometimes some things have to come first. Derech Eretz, Kadmala Torah. Having proper manners, proper behavior precede and is more important than learning Torah itself. That's why if, the, if you have the ability to go to a 20-minute shir or your wife needs your help, what do you think should be done? Oftentimes, a lot of us have this question, this digression, this argument within our own heads. What should we do? I really want to learn from that rabbi. He only comes once a week, but really, the kids are crazy or screaming, really, my wife needs my help. So really, what comes first? Not even talking spousal obligations and abilities, but really, Derek Haaretz says, really, I need to stay home and help the wife. Really, I need to do what I can to help in the home. I'll listen to this year later on a podcast or a recording, but really, my Derek Haaretz of helping with the kids comes first. You see the guy is schlepping extra packages, but really, you want to get back and you want to see the the last five minutes of the of the shear, the last five minutes of the shear, but you see the guy is really struggling. Derek Haaretz comes first to learning the Torah, Kadmala Torah. You help him with those packages, especially if he's your enemy, even though you shouldn't have an enemy. Just people you like less, as my dad used to say. Derek Haaretz comes before Torah. 
That's why 26 generations of people, Yaakov didn't have the official Torah, but he knew to be a mensch, to fill out the years for Rachel, to fill out the years for Leah. Seven years, seven years to work for his wives, and then he got the other wives also, but he didn't even have the Torah, but he knew what the proper ethical decision was to be when he had the spotted sheep and the not spotted sheep. And Lavan changed his wage a hundred times. He didn't even have the physical Torah to look in, but he knew the Derech Eretz. He knew the way to go about it. Avram also... The, the, when the war against the five and the four kings happened, and I believe the king of, of Sodom, or, or I forget which one, offers to Avraham all these riches and all these wealths, and Avraham says, I don't even want to take a shoe strap, man. Paraphrasing, obviously. I don't even want to take one string, one strap from this war, because I didn't do the war for the money. I didn't do it for the spoils. He for sure was entitled to the spoils of the war. He for sure was entitled to be reimbursed for the war. He took 400 men, or his servant Eliezer, to go rescue his nephew Lot, who did not see eye to eye with him, who went the opposite way to the very bad area, very bad neighborhood of Sodom and Gomorrah, while Avram went the other way. Avram goes and he picks up his, his nephew and does not take a single thing. Even though there wasn't a physical Torah, Derech Eretz Kadmala Torah, proper manners, proper behavior, proper sportsmanship, whatever sport you use, that comes first. And that could be the reason why it took so many generations till Hashem decided to give it to show that manners comes first. Enoch walked with Hashem. Noach ish tzaddik. And they talk about these different people. Avram was Aver from all the other people. He was called the Ivri, the original Ivri, because he knew what was the right decision, what was the right only proper God to serve that of Hashem, even though the whole world was against him. His own father ran an idol shop and Avram, of course, destroyed it at age three, and when his father was furious he said, you know, the idols did it to one another and the, the father was, like, incredulous. What are you talking about? They can't do this. And Avram says, you see, there's only one true Hashem, even at three. But that's the Ivri, the person that was Aver Ayardin of all the other people. Avram was against everyone. That's why he's called Ivri, because he was the one person on the other side of the world versus everyone else. And then he was able to get the Nefashot, Cha'asu Bacharan. Him and Sar were able to convert all these people and took them with him. Because Derech Eretz comes first. It really brings to mind, Lahavdal, the idea how in some sports, both teams will purposefully shake hands and high-five each other after a game. Because even if you are rivals on the field, or playing one another, what are you really rivaling against? That you get more points in the basket than the other guy? After the fact, it's a game. A game is a game. Even though secular society has taken it crazy outlandish for the MLB, and the NHL, and the NBA, and the NFL... All of these different things, they make billions upon billions, but at the end of the game, end of the day, what is really contributing to society? And that's a whole nother idea, a whole nother thing. We talk about this in the role model lecture on the lecture series or Tani Talks Life. What's really being contributed? It's really just entertainment. It's really just a sport. It's just a game. But they take it to, to such an extent, to such a degree, that they become rivals on the field. Really, if you understand that it's just a game and you're doing it to entertain those around you, contributing entertainment to the world, I guess. Once the game is done, we're all humans. We're all game. We're all just regular people and should treat each other well with respect. Even on the field during the game, there should be proper playing and proper interactions. That is the idea, Lahavdil, of what sportsmanship is. I could have total inathleticism, be totally non-athletic, but I could still be someone who has good sportsmanship. I could still be someone who has good sport in life around life. That is the idea of sportsmanship, of Ahavat Chinam, loving all people around us, especially when we're playing games with one another, especially when we're playing sports with one another. That is something we can all do. As Wikipedia explains, what is sportsmanship? What is the idea of a sportsmanship? How do we define what sportsmanship is? What is its official definition? Wikipedia is explaining, sportsmanship is an aspiration or an ethos that a sport or activity will be enjoyed for its own sake. When people get super competitive, when people get super into games and super into these things, even though it's a sport, even though it's a game, they get so, so competitive. Do you ever see parents on the field, I'm, I'm not like this technically, although I haven't tested it yet, when their kids are in a game, in a little league game or a football game, they get very intense, so intense that I actually read an article in Aish that the 
the the referee the coach excuse me the coach himself actually had to excuse himself because he couldn't take the virulent behavior the nasty behavior of the parents like their toxicity that was filtering into their children in the game that's called living vicariously living through the children i never made it onto varsity but my kid's varsity so i'm going to be crazy about my son's varsity team even if he's not so incident into it junior varsity i never made it on the hockey team but my daughter's on the hockey team you better believe i'm going to be the most intense parent on this on the on the field no, you have to understand we need to have the proper sportsmanship for ourselves as parents and for our children as athletes or ourselves as athletes. It's really something that should be done for its own sake, understanding that an activity can be enjoyed for its own sake. This is with the proper consideration for fairness, for ethics, for respect, and a sense of fellowship with one's competitors. A sore loser refers to one who does not take defeat well, and that doesn't just account for the child who is playing, but how much more so for the parent who cannot take that his kid lost the game or his kid wasn't the MVP or his kid wasn't the the awarded the medal for for MVP. The sore loser could definitely apply to parents too, to children too, refers to one who does not take defeat well, especially the parent or the coach who is the parent. Whereas a good sport means being a good winner as well as being a good loser. So even if you lose the game, you're happy about it in a way. Not that you're happy about losing, but you were able to put in your best, to put in your all. You know, I didn't win the Super Bowl, but we tried so hard and we made it to the Super Bowl. We got to play in the Super Bowl. And even after the Super Bowl, I'm pretty sure they actually shake each other's hands. I don't know how many of them are so into the shaking of the hands, but it's um, at least a sign, that at least they're putting in the action, they're putting in the effort of shaking the hand, even if they don't mean it. But that's being a good loser, someone who shows courtesy towards another in a sports game, even if they lost the game. There are various ways that sportsmanship is practiced in different sports. Being a good sport often includes treating others as you would also like to be treated. This is known as the golden rule, otherwise known as Lahavdil, taken from Judaism way, way, way many years ago. What you want to be done for yourself, you should do to others. This is what Hillel explains to the convert all those years ago. As Rabbi Akiva explains in the whole rest of his commentary, go learn, is what Hillel says. Treat your other people like you would want to be treated, especially in games, especially as a job, especially helping out people. This is something that should be done, especially in games. Treat others as you would like to be treated. Cheer for good plays, even if it is made by the opposition, especially if it's made by the opposition. Accept responsibility for your mistakes and keep your perspective. An example, Wikipedia explains, of treating others how you would like to be treated, especially in the game, would include being respectful and polite to other team members and the opposition because in return you would also like to be treated the same way. Cheer for good plays. That could include if if in netball, which I guess is basketball, a player of the opposition made a good lead for the ball. I, I don't know sports at all, but when it comes to, I guess this is like the forward, the guy, that, or is that in football i don't know the guy that takes the ball and runs with it which then resulted in a goal so maybe this is football everyone would either clap or make a supportive comment to acknowledge that what the player did was very well done to accept responsibility for your mistakes will entail not placing the blame on other people i can't believe ref where are your eyes you ever hear that in the parents or people on the team where what's the matter with you what are you what are you demented what what is the matter with you what are you there's never any place for any of those things not name calling not using bad words or derogatory language not just on the field but off the field in the field of life not placing the blame on other people if he made a bad kick why are you blaming it on the ref the ref is just calling what he sees if he missed the net it's not the ref's fault that your kid missed the goal don't place the blame on other people. Owning up to your own mistakes in the game is what we should be doing. Some popular examples of good sportsmanship in the game in the game of sports include shaking hands, helping an opponent who may have fallen over, not cheering for when they fall over, God forbid, encouraging everyone, cheering, clapping, or high-fiving, being respectful to everyone, including teammates, the opposition, parents, and officials 
Most importantly, it is often encouraged and said regarding sportsmanship that it's not whether you win or lose. It's how you play the game. This is not a Judaic source. Listen to that again. It's not whether you win or lose. It's not who wins the game. It's how you play the game. Oftentimes, I think a good coach, a good scout, would be someone who looks at the wholeness of the person, looks at the wholeness of the athlete, and they see, how does the athlete play? How does the athlete interact? Is this someone that I want on my team? Is it someone that's going to encourage a good role model for his teammates? So what if Darren lost the game? But look how good a sports, a good look how good a sport he was throughout the game, encouraging his opposition, encouraging his own team. Rooting for the opposition, that's a real leader, someone who wants to follow him on and off the field. And look, he's such a good role model in school. He actually studies. He doesn't go to these parties, and he makes sure to get those straight A's. Just a good role model all over. I want him on my varsity team, even though his team lost the whole season. It's not whether you win or lose. It's how you play the game. Sportsmanship can be manifested in different ways depending on the game itself or the culture of the group. For example, in the sport of cricket, not a game I've ever played, a player will sometimes acknowledge that he is out by walking himself off the field, even though the umpires, the game officials, had thought that he was not out. In another example, a tennis player who sees a ball go in but is called out by the lines person could concede the point or suggest the opponent make a challenge, as was the case with professional tennis player Jack Sock on at least two occasions. Sportsmanship can be affected by a few contributing factors like the player's values and attitudes towards the sport. Also, the professional role models that are shown to the public. We talk about this a lot in the in the Heroes lecture and the Heroes Sheer and true role models. Who are the role models? And I make up five different examples of... Uh, of uh, different people, I can't remember their name, like Joe Linebacker, I made up one of them, where if on the field you think they're so great, but in real life they're like in five kilos of cocaine and their family disowned them and they stole millions of dollars in the Cayman Islands, are these real role models just because they're really good at football? They're really good at basketball? This is a real role model? This is a good sport? This is someone to look up to? No way, man. No way. Role models in sport are expected to act in a moral and respectful way. If he's pushing five kilos, if he's usurping $5 million to the Caymans, these ain't no good role models to look up to. When elite sporting role models do not encourage sportsmanship, this could also encourage people in society to act in similar ways to the athletes that they look up to and idolize. Look at um, uh, the the bicyclist uh, Lance Armstrong, right? He won seven Tour de France's in a row, but after the fact... He admitted that he took steroids. How devastating for all his fans, for all little kids that wanted to be a bike player, a bicyclist, just like Lance Armstrong. That is not the proper behavior to cheat your way through the sport. That's not good sportsmanship. That's not good morals. That's not good role models of the behavior of the sport. You want to be someone that others can emulate. For example... If an individual looked up to an athlete who was drinking excessively, they may see this as acceptable behavior, God forbid. This, of course, is why in our society, in our way, we need to look up to real role models, the real rabbis, the real sages. In in Pirkei Elvis, the people that speak, Lahavdil, every comment are people that live their their lives in lines with those comments, probably their wives too. But their lives were lived in accordance with those comments actual comments. Those are real, real people to look up to. Instead of baseball cards, maybe get rabbi cards or get Torah cards. Torah cards are an amazing, amazing organization. I actually grew up with Torah cards. I think it's a beautiful concept. I actually reached out to the person that spoke to him himself, the founder, a couple of years ago. Those are cards based on Torah, cards based on rabbis, cards based on actual people to look up to, not just trading Joe DiMaggio or, or Babe Ruth, random people who can hit a ball. The person to look up to is someone to have the good behavior to look up to. The direct correlation between sportsmanship and leadership is also considered to be another factor that contributes. Having a positive environment in your sporting team, in your life, will therefore create good sportsmanship from the individuals. Having a positive leadership by the captains, coaches, and supporters would then encourage a positive sporting environment. In fact, interestingly, 
Some leagues have a trophy just for this. The Lady Bing Memorial Trophy, formerly known as the Lady Bing Trophy, is presented each year to the National Hockey League, NHL, player adjudged to have exhibited the best type of sportsmanship and gentlemanly conduct, which I think is ironic because in hockey, how often are they slamming each other into the walls? Gentlemanly conduct combined with a high standard of playing ability. The Lady Bing Memorial Trophy has been awarded 88 times to 53 different players since it was first awarded in 1925. The original trophy was donated to the league by Lady Bing of Vimy, then Viceregal Consort of Canada. The trophy is named in honor of Mary Evelyn Moriton, Lady Bing, wife of the Viscount Bing of Vimy, who commanded Canadian forces at the Battle of Vimy Ridge and who was Governor General of Canada from 1921 to 26. She was an avid hockey fan and donated the trophy to the NHL in 1924. There is also the Pierre de Coubertin medal, a special medal handed out during the modern Olympic Games for extraordinary acts of sportsmanship in keeping with the ideals of the Games. In general, it is good to be a good sport, and it is good to think about what benefits there might be to sports. If the benefits are not outweighed by the negatives, then maybe it's time to rethink why you're involved in the sport itself. I want to point out what benefits could be in sports, and I do think that sport has a very loose definition. On the flyer, we purposely put in the Frisbee because I believe Frisbee is a sport. According to my research, I could not find that it's an official sport. Ultimate Frisbee might be, but regular Frisbee playing, I am always been a big fan of for years and years and years. I think it is the coolest thing. Better than throwing a football, better than hitting a baseball, better than throwing a basketball. I think throwing a Frisbee is epic, especially when you throw it across campus and try to catch it. Very, very cool. But there are definite benefits to sports. We talked about how to be a good sport. But thinking of playing sports itself, there are benefits. Again, I haven't played real sports in a very long time, but sport is a very loose loose general definition. But there are physical, cognitive, emotional, and social components that can actually help. HealthyLiving.azcentral.com points out, many kids are involved in sports, whether it's Little League Baseball or Pee Wee Football or classes in martial arts or gymnastics. Our son did try judo uh, karate for a little bit did not go well he did try soccer for a little bit did not go well but these are things that many kids are involved in especially the local recreation center many kids choose to play sports for fun which would be the best if there would be not too much competition not too much you know yelling and intensity on the parts of the parents or the kids but sports can have many positive effects on children who participate in them younger children typically have more fun with sports when played in a friendly manner see that Young children have more fun when there's less competition. More fun when less competition. So when does it happen that in middle school or high school that changes? It becomes more competitive, less friendly, and I believe less fun. If you want it to be more fun, pointed out here by Healthy Central, make it a more friendly manner, less competitive, less competition. I'm also not such a fan of uh, everyone getting a trophy, although that's a very big thing nowadays, especially in society. Give it to the losing team and to the winning team. If you want it to be competitive, then figure out a way to lessen the competitive nature of it in general. But you want it to be not competitive, then don't give the trophies to anyone. Why are you giving it to everyone? If everyone gets a trophy, then what does the trophy really hold value at all? In general, make it more friendly less competitive and less pressure unfortunately the opposite happens in varsity and junior varsity and in middle school and in high school where it becomes much more pressured much more competitive much less friendly and much less fun there is no coincidence that when you take away the competition you add the friendliness you add the funness you you take away the pressure becomes a much more fun thing to be involved with Physically, children who participate in physical activities like sports have many positive health benefits, including including decreased risk of obesity and heart disease, God forbid, high blood pressure, diabetes, and many other things, God forbid. The council, the President's Council and the American Academy of Pediatrics, by the way, recommends at least one hour of physical activity for children daily. I've been saying this for years on the OT show especially. One hour per day of children playing physically, very much so. That's why I'm a very big fan. I always tell my wife, if we go to the park, it has to be for an hour. If we go outside, it has to be an hour. 60 minutes of physical activity. When they're on the playground, they need to run around. They're also more likely to avoid the bad things in life, less likely to smoke and use drugs and alcohol than children who don't participate in sports. 
And for girls, there's also much more positive effects to be involved in sports as well. In terms of mood and mental health, children who participate in sports experience positive effects on their mental health as well. Physical activity triggers the endorphins in the brain. That's why it feels so good to even go on an exercise bike that we recently got, or to go on the treadmill, or to run outside, to jog outside, to walk quickly. Physical activity triggers those really feel-good chemicals in the brain, otherwise known as endorphins. It boosts mood, helps prevent and relieve depression, according to the Mayo Clinic. University of Florida says the kids who participate in sports are less likely to develop depression than kids who don't. Physical activity relieves anxiety as well. Also, self-esteem-wise, if you find a sport that really speaks to you, that you really feel like you're good at, it really can boost self-esteem. And you can have more confidence and a healthier body image, especially for girls, when involved in sports. Self-confidence, self-esteem really can improve mood and mental health. Socially, those who participate in sports earn better grades in school, develop better social skills, according to U of F, University of Florida. It allows for kids to develop friendships, to learn to lose and to win gracefully when done in a sports manner, to practice taking turns, to take on leadership roles, to also learn to follow rules and to practice how to manage conflict, also to root for the other team, especially an opposing team. The social interaction experience while being involved in sports improves mood and mental health, and it's really beneficial to all children, but even more to beneficial to kids with special needs, interestingly. Above all, most important, as we mentioned in the beginning, I believe the good midos is the key. Whether you're good at the sport or not, whether you like this sport or not, hopefully you're only involved in a sport that you actually like, but the good midos, the sportsmanship, really could lead us on the way to rebuilding the base of Migdash, which is the whole reason that one of them were destroyed coming up in a couple of days, that we're, we're commemorating and memorializing in just a few days. No toxicity, no name-calling, no negativity, even more so no biting, no kicking, no punching, no shouting, no screaming, no fighting, no bad words, no bad-mouthing. All these things should be avoided at all costs. Whether you're talking to your kids, whether you're talking to your friends, whether you're talking to your parents, whether you're talking to coworkers on or off the field, in the game, or in the game of life, on the field or on the field of life. We need to have the good midos, the avat chinam, to people around us. Be a mensch on and off the field. Again, let the game be fun for kids. I shep nachas when I hear my kids talk about the sports they play. The other day he came and he said, we played nukum. Nukem? You know Nukem, Abba? Yes, I know Nukem. Very cool game. Whether it's volleyball or dodgeball or basketball, when he talks about the cool activities they do in dramation and in orienteering, God willing, tomorrow apparently they're learning about uh, ninja, whatever that means. Very cool. But different things I like to hear about in day camp and in school when they play these different games when they play these different things. Just as an example, by the way, there's a lot, a lot of sports out there. I'm not going to read all 50, but, you know, soccer and basketball and tennis and baseball, golf, running is considered a sport and swimming is considered a sport. Even table tennis, by the way, believe it or not, is considered a sport. Ping pong, which it actually is not a, a sport that um, I do like it a lot. That's not one that I've been gone from as long as the other ones. You know, we see it every now and again. Roller skating, rollerblading, I never really learned, but that's a sport. Ice hockey, bowling is considered a sport. How cool. Football and darts. Pool itself is considered a sport. You know, I uh, pool billiards is a very cool one. Maybe we should go another time. Me and my wife, that would be a cool thing to do. But um, that's a sport, too. Karate is a sport. Horse racing is a sport, skateboarding is considered a sport, archery is considered a sport, and rock climbing and jet skiing, weightlifting, judo, windsurfing. There's like a thousand sports. So frisbee's got to be a sport too, man. Come on. It's not on the list, but it's my favorite of all time. I actually think it's a real sport. And I want to tell you two amazing stories relating to what it really means to be a good sport, bringing it home, bringing it to mind, what it really represents. Rabbi Dov Lippmann, who was actually a rabbi of mine in Ration, especially in Shana Bet, he taught us, and uh, Shana Aleph, oftentimes we had a partial situation. He went on to become a, a, a member of Knesset and MK, wrote many books, many articles, fascinating person in general, has an amazing story from H.com about a real aspect of what a real sport is, a real mensch, someone who is real Ahabat Chinam, especially when it comes to the game. 
Western Oregon University's girls softball team was playing a critical game against Central Washington University. The game had playoff implications that could lead to the playoffs. Sarah Ch- Tuchilski, an unheralded senior player for Western Oregon, stepped up to the plate in a 0-0 game with two runners on base and hit a home run over the center field fence. Her coaches and teammates could not believe it. Sarah had never hit a home run in her entire high school and college career. What a moment! Her first home run ever, and it put her team in front 3-0 in this pivotal game. Sarah began to run the bases with pride, but realized that in her excitement, she had missed touching first base. Pause. What would the average person do? You would think that they would all run back to first base, but that's not how everyone thinks. Someone who's missing sportsmanship, missing Prabhadara Kharitz, would just keep going and hope that the coach wouldn't know. Not Sarah, not this person, and hopefully most of us. She realized she missed touching first base. Unpause. So she turned to start back to first. While twisting, her knee somehow gave way, and she collapsed in agony. I believe, as an OT, that this is probably the ACL tear, which is very common in injuries. It's like the one you hear about in all the Havdal, the stories and movies where they can't play anymore because they ripped uh, the meniscus or the ACL and the knee. Anyway... She twisted her knee and she collapsed in agony. She crawled back to first base but could do no more. The first base coach told her that, according, can you imagine she's writhing in agony and he's still thinking about the rules? The first base coach told her that he needs to learn proper sportsmanship. <laughs> the first base coach said, according to the rules, if anyone on the team tried to help her, she would be called out. At the moment of supreme agony for Sarah, the coach only cares about the fact that nobody can help her and she's literally going to be writhing on the floor. Anyway, that's a side point. So no one on the team can help her. So what's going to happen? What's going to be done? The umpires gathered and explained that Sarah could be taken out of the game and a pinch runner called in to replace her, someone else to run in her place. But the home run would have to count as a single and the pinch runner would go to first base where Sarah was crumpled on the ground in pain. How unfair is that? Sarah rightfully got a home run, but she lost the ability to run because she tore her ACL or whatever in her knee. The only thing that they could do is to hire is to have a different runner, but they're going to lose the whole home run, and she's only going to get first base instead of the fourth base? Western Oregon coach Pam Knox did not know what to do. She was going to kill me if we sub and take the home run away. But at the same time, I was concerned for her. What could I do? Central Washington's first baseman, Mallory Holtman, which is the opposing team, the competition, was horrified by what she saw was happening right before her eyes. She couldn't believe that her opponent, that Sarah, was going to be robbed of this home run. How could this be? What a horrific way of going about this. The injustice, the inhumanity of the matter. She approached the umpire and asked about an idea. While Sarah's own teammates could not help her, could her opponents assist her in any way? The umpires explained that there was no rule against Mallory helping. Keep in mind, this is the opposite team. This is the competition. This is someone that could get into the playoffs, into the next round. Keep in mind that this three-run home run at that point in the game was a deciding factor in keeping Mallory's team out of the playoffs. If she helps her opposition, they might lose the game. They had to win that game. This did not stop Mallory from carrying out her plan. As stunned spectators rose to their feet to watch, Mallory and Central Washington shortstop Liz Wallace put their arms under Sarah's legs. Sarah put her arms around their shoulders and they carried Sarah around the base paths, stopping to let her touch each base with her good leg. The only thing I remember Sarah explained is that Mallory asked me which leg was the one that hurt. I told her it was my right leg and she said, Okay, we're going to drop you down gently and you need to touch it with your left leg. And I said, Okay, thank you very much. She said, you deserve it. You hit it over the fence. And we all just kind of laughed. Mallory and Liz explained after the game that they weren't thinking about the playoff spot. 
didn't consider the gesture something others wouldn't do. We just wanted to help her, said Liz. As the trio reached home plate, the entire Western Oregon team was in tears. Central Washington coach Gary Frederick, a 14-year coaching veteran, called the act of sportsmanship unbelievable. Sarah's home run led to Western Oregon's 4-2 victory, and Central Washington was, in fact, eliminated from playoff contention as a result. But after the game, Mallory remarked, in the end, it is not about winning and losing so much. It was about this girl. She hit it over the fence and was in pain, and she deserved a home run. How amazing is that? How wonderful is that? How much epitomizing the idea of true derech Eretz, and this is not a Jewish story, how of true kavod abrios, really, understanding and respecting the other person. It's not about winning. It's not about who's going to get to the playoffs. You see someone hurt. The right thing to do is to think of this. I don't even know if I would have thought of this thing or if other people would have think of this, but this was the idea she came up with. What a wonderful way of Ahavat Chinam. It's your opponent. It's someone who could take away your chances at the playoffs. How could you? You lost the game. Did anyone think that? Or did people think this is a beautiful, if they were Jewish, it would be a Kiddush Hashem, but this is a beautiful sanctification of God's creations here, a beautiful explanation of real sportsmanship, of real Derech Eretz in this story. In another fascinating story, we see a similar thing as well. The Madison Knights of Milwaukee, a high-level high school basketball team, recently hosted its arch-rival from DeKalb, Illinois. Madison was short-handed before this important game even started since senior co-captain John Tell Franklin stayed home to continue mourning his mother's very recent death. We should never know from such things. However, while sitting at home alone, John Tell felt that he needed to be with his friends at the game. He could draw comfort from being together with his teammates and schoolmates. This story also comes from Rabbi Lipman, an Aish. So he hurried off to his school knowing that the game would already be in progress. Upon his arrival at the school, he quickly changed into his uniform and ran out of the locker room to join his team. Madison's coach Womack described what it was like when John Tell appeared from the locker room. When he came with that uniform on, there was a hush over the crowd. I almost had to call a time out to wipe some tears away. But there was a problem. Coach Womack had assumed that John Tell wouldn't show up to play, so he didn't enter his name in the official scores book prior to the game. Sending him into play despite this omission was against the rules and would translate into an automatic technical foul against Madison. That would award decal their competition with two uncontested free throws in what was a very close game. David Rollman, decal's coach, in a remarkable act of sportsmanship, told the head referee not to charge Madison with the technical foul given the circumstances. I expressed him that we should not be shooting the technical foul, that we did not want one, Rollman said, the other team. The referees would not budge. Again, a severe lack of sportsmanship on the fact of the referees. They need to hear this lesson. They would not budge, explaining that the rules are the rules. Even if there were extenuating circumstances, which is ridiculous, and they awarded decal their free shots. Coach Roman had to choose someone on his team to take those two uncontested and possibly decisive shots. Darius McNeil, the team's best foul shooter, volunteered to take the free throws. McNeil had a plan. The high school junior superstar marched up to the free throw line and simply rolled each shot on the floor. I missed them because it was just the right thing to do at the time. And him losing his mom, it really got to me, said McNeil, who lost his own father when he was two years old. We should never know from such things. When they realized what McNeil was doing, the entire Madison team and coaching staff rose to their feet in a standing ovation for their arch-rivals. The Madison Knights ended up pulling ahead after that break in the action and went on to win 62-47, but no one is talking about the final score. John tells eyes filled with tears when he realized what his arch-rivals were doing for him and his team. That made me feel good that the other team was supporting me. This act of kindness, this simple, simple act of kindness. Avat Chinam, again, Derech Eretz, simple, 
simple act of kindness you can do in your own life. This act of kindness and compassion helped propel John Tell to a path where he can move with the mother's death, with it, with him, with his life, in his life. David Melch taught in Tehillim that the world is built on chesed. Olam chesed yibaneh. The world will be rebuilt on kindness. The Beis Hamikdash will be rebuilt on kindness, on ahavas chesed, ahavat chinam, doing for others just because of baseless love. This ideal has since spread from the pages of the Torah to the nooks and crannies of our globe through their thoughtful actions. Mallory Holtman and Darius McNeil built worlds for students on their competing teams. How many worlds are we going to build? It's time to get to work. I saw a story recently on Yeshiva World News on the WhatsApp group that I'm a part of. Kiddush Hashem from Lakewood Sports League. LBA raises money for ill umpire. It shows a fascinating video. A beautiful Kiddush Hashem was made in Lakewood recently on a Tuesday night after players from the LBA baseball division chipped in to help fund the medical bills of one of the league's umpires. In an emotional Kiddush Hashem, the league owner proceeded to hand Carlos a letter signed by all league players wishing him a speedy recovery. Inside the letter was $2,500. I want to end with a fascinating story that's very famous that many people have heard, but it behooves us to hear it again. When we think about rebuilding the base of Megdash, we think about Ahavachin, and we think about being a good sport, being a good sportsmanship person on and off the field, interacting with the barista, interacting with the teller, with the bank teller, with the security guard, the crossing guard, Doing something as simple as throwing away your foul shots for an opposing team member, raising up your opposing member to let her touch base. Simple things can really make all the difference in sports and in the world. And that could be a way to rebuild our lives, to rebuild our temples as we come to Tishabov in just a few days. There's a well-known story that appears on H.com and Denver Kolil and Shul Week talking about Shia. One afternoon, Shia and his father walked past a park where some boys Shia knew were playing baseball. Shia asked, Do you think they will let me play? Shia's father knew that his son was not at all athletic and that most boys would not want him on their team. It wouldn't be comfortable for them. Shia, you see, had some special needs, had some difficulties in his own life. But Shia's father understood that if his son was chosen to play, it would give him a comfortable sense of belonging. Shia's father approached one of the boys in the field and asked if Shia could play. The boy looked around for guidance from his teammates, getting none. He took matters into his own hands and said, We are losing by six runs and the game is in the eighth inning. He could be on our team and will try to put him up to bat in the ninth inning. Shia's father was ecstatic as Shia smiled broadly. Shia was told to put on a glove and go out to play short center field. In the bottom of the eighth inning, Shia's team scored a few runs but was still behind by three. In the bottom of the ninth inning, Shia's team scored again and now with two outs and the bases loaded with the potential winning run on base. Shia was scheduled to be up. Would the team actually let Shia bat at this juncture and give away their chance to win the game? Surprisingly, Shia was given the bat. Everyone knew that Shia didn't even know how to hold the bat properly, let alone hit it. However, as Shia stepped up to the plate, the pitcher did something remarkable, something simple, something so beautiful. The pitcher moved a few steps forward to lob the ball in softly so Shia should at least be able to make contact. The first pitch came in, and Shia swung clumsily and missed. One of Shia's teammates came up to Shia, and together they held the bat and faced the pitcher waiting for the next pitch. The pitcher again took a few steps forward. Simple chesed, simple ideas, simple ways to be a good sport. The pitcher again took a few steps forward to toss the ball softly toward Shia. As the pitch came in, Shia and his teammates swung the bat, and together they hit a slow ground ball to the pitcher. The pitcher picked up the soft grounder and easily could have thrown the ball to the first baseman. Shia would have been out, and that would have ended the game. Instead, the pitcher took a different direction. The pitcher took the ball and threw it on a high arc to right field, far beyond reach of the first baseman. Everyone started yelling, Shia, run to first, Shia, run to first. Never in his life had Shia run to first. He scampered down the baseline, wide-eyed and startled. By the time he reached first base, the right fielder had the ball 
Instead of throwing the ball to second base, he tossed the ball high, catching on to what was going on and far over the third baseman's head. Everyone yelled, Shia, run to second, Shia, run to second. Shia ran towards second base as the runners ahead of him deliriously circled the bases towards home with Shia. As Shia reached second base, the opposing shortstop ran to him, turned him in the direction of third base, and shouted, Run to third, Shia, run to third. As Shia rounded third, the boys from both teams ran behind him screaming, Shia, run home, Shia, run home. Shia ran home, stepped on home plate, and all 18 boys lifted him on their shoulders and made him the hero, as he had just hit a grand slam and won the game for his team. That day, said the father softly, with tears now rolling down his face and down the faces of everyone in the game, everyone in the audience, those 18 boys reached their level of God's perfection. Something so simple, so easy for all of us to do, but so difficult for some people on so many levels. You come to Tishabav, you want to think how to connect to the day. You want to think something practically, what can we do in our lives to move the generation forward, to move the rebuilding forward? How about going against what happened in every generation? Behold Dorvador, in every generation that the base of just wasn't rebuilt, it is as if it is destroyed again and again every single year. If the cause of the base of Megdash, the recent one, the second one, was because of Sinabhinam, that means that it's still here in our days. That means it's still a problem in our days. It means that the solution hasn't been given to us. We need to understand and to realize that this is the solution. Ahavat Chinam is the solution. Caring for one's fellow, being a good sport on and off the team, proper manner, sportsmanship, is something that should be done. Think about Mallory. Think about Darren. Think about these different people. Think about what you can do in your life. Think about your own days and your own actions. Think about Mallory, Mallory Holtman and Darius McNeil. Think about the boys with Shia. Think about what you could do to be a good sport in the playing field and on the pl- and off the playing field. If the destruction was because of Sinachinam, the rebuilding is because of Ahavachinam. doesn't mean that you have to be someone inventing things and saving thousands of thousands of of lives it starts with simple interactions simple ways of going about it as we sit on tishabov and as we mourn the destruction of the base of migdash maybe we can have hope for the rebuilding of the base of migdash maybe we can make a list for ourselves to think how we could be a good sport sit down with a pen and paper with your phone writing notes on what we could do to interact with people to have proper derech eretz understanding the derech eretz kadmala torah i might not be athletic hey but i'm not athletic but i could still be a good sport i could still be someone making a difference making a kiddush hashem on and off the playing field understanding derech eretz kadma la torah is the solution we could do it in our days on our phone calls on our interactions at work at play at the field in our lives this could be how we could rebuild the base of Midrash. May we be Zoha to actually take this and rebuild the base of Midrash speedily in our days. And may we be Zoha that this is the last Tishaba we ever have to experience and we only see true Yom Tov, true happiness speedily in our days. And may that day, in fact, be today. This has been Tani Talks Radio, where we talk a topic of the week for the audience members to keep joining us next time, Monday nights at 8.30. And I'm your host, Tani.